0: There's certain things that the Father wants in His house, and we are the ones who help to partner with Him to get that. We need to create a space for Him to come where He is welcome, where He loves to be there. He's building us together as living stones, as a temple of the living God to where His presence is going to make His permanence. And we've been talking about it for a while here. We have an inheritance in this place that the Lord is offering to us, and He wants us to partner with Him to get that. You see, in the Old Testament, when they had the inheritance of the promised land, which was promised to them over and over again, in the book of Joshua alone, He uses the word inheritance 57 times. But lo and behold, when they got there, they said, what the heck? There's giants in the land. we got to fight to get our inheritance, and that's what we do, we fight with the Holy Spirit to get our inheritance, and we take hold of what the Lord has provided for us. Amen? Amen? Okay, Colossians 3. So we're looking at what those characteristics are that the Father desires to be in this house. These aren't all of them. There's three of them in this passage, and so that's why I, I took it. So verse 12 of Colossians 3, we're going to read verses 12 through 15 to start out just as introduction. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. If that's you, say amen. Amen. Okay. You're chosen of God, holy and beloved. Put on a heart of compassion. Notice the phrase put on. What does that mean? We have to partner with it, right? We partner with it, we put it on, we will it, we choose with the Holy Spirit to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That's pretty heavy. Just as the Lord forgave you, how much did he forgive you? He forgave all of it. And so that's how we interact with other people. We forgive them and release them from the debt. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity or the bond of perfection. Love in our midst is what brings us to perfection. The best tool for sanctification in the Holy Spirit's tool bag is you and me. It's each other. Because if we can learn to love one another with all of our quirks, how many have quirks in here? How many, your spouse would say you have quirks? Okay. We all have quirks, right? We all have our idiosyncrasies. We all have things that can rub other people the wrong way. How many ever say the wrong thing at the wrong time and you just go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Yes, we all do that. So there's things to forgive always. Sometimes they're more egregious. Sometimes they're smaller. Sometimes people just irritate you. How many have people in your life that they just irritate you and you can't even put your finger on why? They just irritate you. Like, that person just irritates me. Okay, this is called sanctification. The Holy Spirit goes, hey, that's a person that Jesus died for. You need to love them and we're going to partner together and make this a project and learn how to love people that irritate us. This is part of being a believer. This is not the fun part necessarily, but this is a part that conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. One another is the way to sanctification by the Holy Spirit's power and by the application of the Word of God. That is the way that we become Christ-like. That's why lone rangers don't become Christ-like and sanctified in their character. They just don't. Because God has so ordained it that we become like Jesus in community. And we're going to see that in verse 15 here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. Notice that word. It's really important. You were called in one body and be thankful. So listen. Listen. Part of your calling, our calling is not just individual. In America, we think so individualistically that it makes it almost impossible for the Lord to build the community and the body that he wants. We were called. It's part of our calling. It's part of our purpose. You were not just called as an individual to Jesus. When he called you to himself, he called you also to community and to be part of that body because you're only one part, right? You're not all the parts of the body. You're either a hand, a finger, an eye, a, a foot, whatever you are. So he called you to body. So does the body function best if there's just one part sticking out there or if they're all rightly united to each other? Obviously, the, it, it, is, it takes its purpose and its destiny from all the parts being rightly united to each other. And so we've got work to do. You guys are awesome. I do believe this is true. I've been in ministry for 40 years And I think this is the most loving body of people that I've ever been part of. I believe that's true without a doubt. And so that's awesome. We're we're making a good start of it. But we're building something here. There's a culture that the Lord wants to build in our midst. And it is a culture where love flows freely like a river. Where we speak the truth in love to each other. Where we don't avoid every conflict. But we actually engage in the conflict knowing that God's going to do something good. Ever have those conversations where you're dreading it all week? You set up a meeting, you're like, "Oh, breathe deeply. You catch yourself thinking about it. Oh, Those are the very conversations that God uses to help to shape and to form us and to bring us into maturity. How many want Jesus to be seen in his beauty in your life? If you do, community is for you. This is a great message for you. This is how we get there. We were called in the same way that the Bible says that we were called into the fellowship with the Son of God in 1 Corinthians 1. In the same way that it says we were called to purity and not to uncleanness in several places. 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 1 Peter as well. We're called to purity. That's part of our calling. It's not separate from our calling. It's part of our calling. And in the same way, we're called to be one Body together. That's what we're going after. This is super important. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read this to you. I don't know if they I gave them the scripture verses late, so maybe they won't have them up in time. That's on me. But Ephesians 4, I want to read just verses 1 through 4 before we move on here. We're going to get to point number 2 today, Lord willing. Point number one of the atmosphere that we're creating for God. Anybody remember? This is why we have to keep going over it. Nobody remembers point one. I preached on it for three times. Okay? Martin Luther preached on justification by faith in his church 19 times in a row. He got up there the 20th time and he said, my topic for this morning is justification by faith. And he heard lots of groans in the audience. Why are you preaching on that again? He said, because you didn't get it after the 19th time. So we're going for it again. Okay, so we're going to keep moving. We're building culture here, but look at these verses. This is powerful. Ephesians 4 verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, I beg you, to walk in a a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Notice that. If you didn't read the rest of these verses, what would your answer be to how do you walk worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus? What would your answer be? I think some of us would say we need to walk in holiness. We need to walk in a way that honors the Lord in honesty and truth. Those kinds of things, all true, but that's not what Paul says, defines us walking worthy. Here's what he says. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. This is how we walk worthy of the Lord. Jesus, I just want to please you. I just want to walk worthy of you. Love be patient, be kind. Don't say that sharp word. How many have the gift of sarcasm? Okay. I, I had it in my former life. The Lord's healed me from a lot of that. I still use it sometimes. But you know just the thing. You, like, you can almost not say it. It's so good in that moment. Like, oh, it's going to be perfect. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you don't say that. And You're like, You have to lay down the gift of sarcasm on the altar. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's of the flesh. And it can be set on fire by hell, right? James said the tongue is an unruly evil set on fire by hell. Okay, lay down the gift of... It's not a gift. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being, notice this, verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace being diligent being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit so we're diligent in our relationships to preserve the unity of the spirit what does diligent diligence look like to preserve the unity of the spirit it usually looks like verse 2 with all humility you humble yourself you go low you suck it up. You acknowledge where you're wrong. You go as low as you can. This is the secret to relationships in the kingdom. You go as low as you can. You humble yourself wherever you can instead of justifying. I know this isn't the kind of preaching that gets shouts, but it, but it's true and it's real. All right? Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit Notice, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, there's the calling again. We're called to be a body of people that is rightly united and rightly loving and rightly interacting with each other. That's what we're called. That's part of our calling. When God called us, he didn't just call us, come to me and I'm going to take away your burden. I'm going to fix your stuff. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to wash away your sins with my blood. That is true. Praise God forever for that. But he also calls us into a larger destiny as a people with those that he connects us with. And if we don't fulfill that, we don't fulfill our calling. Okay, back to Colossians chapter 3. I want to pick up with 2. So point number 1. Anybody know now? Yes, Miss Allen got it. Treasure each other. Treasure each other. If there's an atmosphere where the people of God really treasure each other, you know, there's another T word that usually would be more applicable, and that is we tolerate each other. Tolerating is different than treasuring. Parents, I will tell you, your kids know this intuitively. You can smile at them, biting your lip, but they know If you really enjoy them, just want to encourage you when you look at your little ones, when they just made a mess, they come in covered with mud from head to toe, track it all over the floor like, oh, my gosh. But if you get down there and look in their little eyes, say, come here, we need to get you in the bathtub. But I love you. Look them in the eye. That will do more to make your children secure stable, and healthy than most anything that you can do. Okay, just FYI, I know there's young adults here aren't married yet. Just, just put it back there. People understand intuitively, and children are especially good. Parents, your kids know exactly who you are. You know that, right? They know who you are. They, they don't know who you are in church. Like, they know who you really are, and so that's the thing that they pick up on. And if they feel like there's a disconnect between what you really are when you get up with bedhead in the morning and you haven't had your coffee yet, and then you go to church and you're, "Oh, praise the Lord!" How are you, brother?" They're like, "Who's that person?" Who's that person? Mama goes to church to act. Daddy goes to church to play act. Like, "Don't don't do that." consistency in your walk with Jesus. Just be honest with them. It's okay to apologize to your kids. It's really good, actually, if you do this. I don't know why I get off on these little rants. It's probably because I had seven kids. But this is real. If you apologize to your children, they will forgive you. They're the most forgiving little people in the world. You can just say, honey, please forgive daddy. I got angry and I shouldn't have raised my voice at you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. They'll say, okay, daddy. They're on their way. But if you don't say that, 10 years later, they'll be in counseling, and they'll bring that back up and go, my daddy yelled at me, and he never apologized. I still have memories in my life on a vacation that we went one time to the Virgin Islands. I was 10 years old. I don't know why this comes up. I'm doing self-counseling right now. (laughs) And I was there with my two older brothers and my family. We had a, um, a family of friends of ours, neighbors, went with us, and uh we lived in upstate New York at that time. We went at Christmas time to the Virgin Islands. My skin was about that color. Because the sun never came out in upstate New York. If it did, it was like Christmas, and we would run around like crazy because the sun's out. Went down there like that. We were out in the sun for two hours the first day before dinner, and we got so sunburned. I had blisters on me that big that were full of pus. And was so sick. So sick. So where does this story go? My dad, during that time, he got frustrated with me over something that we were doing. We were in a glass bottom boat he he got agitated at me and he scolded me in front of my peers, my friends. He yelled at me basically, and I was crushed, and I was like, I just wilted like a flower, and I went over to my mom like, and then I just hung out with her the rest of the day because i i couldn't bear to be around him he He crushed my little spirit now he was aggravated, I'm sure rightly so, because of pressures that were happening and all of that. Our luggage didn't get there until the next day. Here we are, you know. It's this crazy kind of a trip. But I still remember that. Am I wounded back? No, I think I've released that. But the point is, those kinds of things, if my dad would have said to me, son, I'm so sorry. I love you. I'm glad we're here together. I'm sorry that I got agitated with you. If he would have said that, that would have gone away in that moment. But I still remember that now. Forty, almost 50 years later. Isn't that crazy to say? It is 50 years. Wow. That happened half a century ago, and it's still fresh in my mind. I remember the circumstances. So here's the thing. Your kids are resilient, but you have to pull the thorn out when you put it in there. If you've hurt your children, you have to pull that out and apologize to them. That's a real thing. Okay. That's no charge on that. Colossians chapter three, point one, treasure each other. The Lord wants us to treasure each other, not just tolerate. If we have an atmosphere where we really treasure each other, it's hard to treasure each other if you don't know each other. It's hard to treasure each other when the only time you see each other is looking at the back of somebody's head in a service like this, okay? This is real. I'm putting this out there. The Lord wants something deeper and more from us and Praise God. I see it happening. It's happening before our eyes. It really is where relationships are actually being developed that are real. We put on the armor, don't we, to protect ourselves from pain, but that armor also insulates us from actually having real relationship and heart to heart. And so we have to learn by the Holy Spirit to lay that down, make ourselves vulnerable, reach out, love the people that irritate and frustrate us, and move ahead. This is the Lord's way. This is what the Lord's calling us to. He called us to this in one body. Hey, treasuring each other. We could go on and on about this, and we'll keep talking about this culture. Let me move on to point number two. Drum roll, please. Okay, here it is. Here it is in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. What is the Word of Christ? Earlier in this book, in chapter 1, he calls it the Word of Truth So the Bible, the word of God that is recorded here, the message of the gospel, all of that goes together. The things that Jesus spoke, this is the word of Christ. We are supposed to be letting it dwell within us, in our midst. The you there in that verse is plural. Let it dwell within you richly. This is what it means to let it dwell within you richly. It means to be word-saturated people. Be saturated with the Scripture. Be saturated with the Word of God. Why? Because God loves it. He loves truth. And in our culture, truth is being substituted for feeling. Can anybody testify that our culture is driven by feeling now and not by truth? That's why the morality even inside of the church has shifted so radically is because now certain things feel culturally, they feel good, like it's okay. So your sexuality now, if you you think that you're some other sex than what you were born as... If you feel that that's the way, then then that is your truth. Your feeling determines your truth. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there is objective truth that is real, and there is objective deception that is real. And we have to discern the difference and love the truth. Loving the truth is huge. Listen to me. It is at the root and the core of why people go to hell. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, That in the last day, because people did not receive, listen to the phrase, did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, God sent upon them strong delusion so that they would believe a lie and be damned. Did you know that verse was in there? Rejecting truth is rejecting God. Treasuring truth is treasuring Jesus. Romans chapter 1, I'm just going quickly. You can look these up later. It's powerful passages all through Scripture. Romans 1, Paul starts out explaining the gospel, and he's explaining in chapter 1 why the Gentile nations are lost and away from God and headed towards judgment. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and wickedness, and those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Push it down. For even though they knew God, they didn't see fit to acknowledge Him as God, but they gave themselves over to idolatry and to their own passions, and the Lord turned them over to their own passions. It's the worst possible judgment that there is. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. In the end, this is out of his book, The Great Divorce, if you want to read it. In the end, there's really only two kinds of people there's those who say to God, Thy will be done. And there's those to whom God says, Thy will be done. If God says to you, Go ahead, just do what you want, you're lost. Because our own passions, our own desires, and our own pursuits always lead to rebellion against God. Romans chapter 1 puts out the, the trajectory like this. You know the truth. Everybody knows that there's God, but there's those out there who deny it and make it a profession to deny Him. Why? Because creation. Why? Because conscience. Why? Because we know there's, there is right and there's wrong. There's, there's something inside and there's something outside that says there's a God. But we suppress that. We go, I don't want that because I want to have my own sexual immorality, whatever I want to have. I I stuff that down. I want to cheat at my job. I want to cheat on my taxes. I want to lie. I want to do all kinds of things. I just want to live for myself. So I take that, what I know in my heart, and I stuff that down. I suppress that truth. And then it says further in that passage that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So God, here's your truth. I want door number two. Take this. You take your truth. I want what I want here. You exchange it for a lie. This is deception. In the book of Revelation, throughout the book, what does it say? It explains the whole, it pulls the curtain back on what's happening spiritually in the world. The whole world is under the domination of Satan. Why? Because the, he's deceived them. He's the one who deceives the whole world. So when we don't believe the truth... We believe deception, we come into the bondage of the devil. So wherever deception lives and thrives, the enemy is in control. Powerful story in the book of Acts chapter 5. This is on my list of verses that we never preach on. Okay, I've already put a couple of them out there. Verses you'll never see on your refrigerator or mine probably. Acts chapter 5. You've got two people. It says, it follows out of chapter 4 where they were all filled with the Holy Spirit at the end of chapter 4 in their prayer meeting, right? Remember that? Then it goes into chapter 5. And there was a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they decided they were going to sell. This is what the Holy Spirit was moving in the community. This was the miraculous moving of the Holy Spirit where people were selling their stuff and giving their money to the poor. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of the human heart. So here's this man. They went out. They sold. They wanted to be cool. They wanted to be thought of as being spiritual, like Barnabas, who sold his property and gave it, brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira thought, man, that dude's really spiritual. We need to get up into that upper echelon of the spiritually cool and everybody to think we're really spiritual, right? How many have things in your life where you would want people to believe something about you that's not really true? That's another subject. That's at the heart of deception. So Ananias and Sapphira sell the property, and then they agree, we're going to only bring part of it, we're going to keep part of it, and we're going to say this is how much we sold it for. You go, so what? It was their money. Here's, Here's the issue. They came to Peter. Ananias came in, said, here's the money. And Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit like this? How much did you sell the property for? Such and such an amount, he said. No, you're not lying to men. You're lying to God. How is that? What happened? A couple hours later, his wife, Sapphira, not knowing what happened, walks in. Peter says, Sapphira, question. Question. Did you sell the property for such and such an amount? She says, yeah, that was the amount. You're going to go be with your husband now. They already carried him out to bury him. You're dead. Like, was that an extreme overreaction of the Lord and his church? Come on. How do we deal with that? Was that an extreme overreaction of the Lord and his church to strike two people dead for lying about a faith promise? Was it? Does God fly off the handle? Does he ever go over the top? Does he ever mete out judgment that isn't deserved? Come on, you guys. The wheels are turning now. Here we go in the wrestle. Was that just? Was it right? It's hard to say, isn't it? That's hard to say. Yes, it was just and right. Why was it? Listen. Listen. Because here's what the Lord knew and here's what the devil. You heard Peter say to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Why would the devil care about people lying about their stinking faith promise? Or cheating on their income tax? Because when deception enters in and you suppress the truth, you open up the door and say, come in, devil. Because that's his realm. And you're now speaking his native language. John chapter 8, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, right? He's talking about discipleship. Then in, in seven verses, these ones who loved Jesus and adored him are ready to kill him. They got the long knives out. He goes, why do you want to kill me? I've just told you the truth. And they're like, no, we're children of Abraham. He goes, if you were children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. But you're children of your father, the devil. How's that for influencing people in positive, flattering ways? Jesus, you're of your father, the devil. What are you talking about? The devil is a murderer and a liar, and when he speaks a lie, this is what Jesus said, when he speaks a lie, he's speaking his native language. Why? Because that's how he controls the whole world apart from Christ, is through deception and through lies. That's why truth is so precious. It is so precious. All of those little lies that we tell to make ourselves look better and to feel better and to make other people think things about us that aren't really true, those are actually opening up the doorway to the enemy in our life and in our midst. And at the beginning of the church, when it was moving so powerfully in the way of establishing the kingdom in this Roman culture that was full of other gods, God said, I'm not letting the devil in the front door of my house. That will not happen. You will die first. You're out. Why? Because if he starts out that way and deception, you see the first thing that the enemy wanted to do? To get inside that church, to destroy it, is to bring deception in because truth is the language of God and it is the language that he always speaks. Deception is always the language of the enemy. That's powerful. God loves his word because his word is truth. Remember the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Father, sanctify them in your Truth, your word is truth. So here's the beautiful and powerful thing. Like we have such a treasure. We have such a treasure in having the word of God written. You know how many people have died trying to get the word of God in their own heart language? I won't go through all the history, but it's amazing the persecution that happened and the people that gave their lives for the Scripture to get into the language of the people. This is a treasure. So now that we have it, and I have shelves and shelves full of them, different translations, like we're super blessed. So now what is the devil's ploy? He just wants us to ignore it, or he wants us to go, oh, well, that's really nice. Yeah, I love the Bible. Yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, what, what? No, no, this is the very truth of God. It's full of life. It's teeming with life from the Holy Spirit. It's filled with truth and life. If we could take that into ourselves, it cures a thousand ills inside of us. Those areas inside of us that are crooked and not Christ like. I I get amazed. I always try to encourage people to do this. It's so powerful. This word is the sword of the Spirit that cuts off the stuff of the enemy that sticks to us. So we take it on an individual basis. We go, okay, I've got an anger issue. What do I do? Well, I go to the scripture. And I find all of the passages that talk about anger and deal with that issue. Why? Because that's my sword. I'm going to fight with this thing. You're going to part. You, no, you want. I know. I know what we do in charismatic circles. I love these times at the altar. I think it's amazing. I rejoice. I laugh in my heart. I think it's awesome, Lord. But listen, there's a partnership in, on our individual basis with the Lord. We need to take the sword. He goes, I'm not taking the sword up for you. I'm not going to fight with that sword. That's your sword. You take it up. You, the shield of faith, is your shield. You take it up. He's not going to say, okay, come down to the altar. Somebody's going to lay hands on you, and then now you don't ever have to take up your sword. No. You still have to take it up. If you've got issues in your life for sanctification where the character of Christ is not rightly formed in you, how many would say amen? Amen. Come on. Okay. Altar call afterwards. We we talk about deception now. Come on. Come on. Take that word. Take all the verses you can find about anger, write them down, meditate on them, pray them, use them like a sword to cut that junk off of your life. Use them like a sword. Anger, lust, take those verses, use them like a sword. Cut that junk off of your life. You're like, I've been crying out to the Lord, Lord, and He's saying, Take up your sword. The truth is what breaks deception off of your life. The reason that we're bound in sin habits is because we're deceived. And the way to get free from deception is to breathe in this word and keep breathing it in and keep breathing it in until the deception gets dissipated and broken off of our life. Come on, that that was worthy of an amen there. That, that, That was, yeah. So on a personal level, I want to exhort and encourage us. Like, do this. If you want to move forward in your Christ likeness, He's given us a tool. He is cleansing His bride, Ephesians chapter 5, and making her the spotless bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How's He doing that? With the washing of the water with the Word. You're like, yes, that's why I come to church. No, you've you got to get in the shower. You've you, you got to get in the shower, and you got to take your socks off. And you got to take your jacket off. you got to get in the water and let that water wash all over you and wash that junk off of you. Does it happen in a week? No. Does it happen in a year? No. But does it happen? Yes. Oh, my goodness. If you could have seen all the junk that was on me. I was like I was covered with barnacles when Jesus brought me to himself. You couldn't even see skin. There were just all barnacles. You see those poles in the, on the piers in the ocean? Just covered with barnacles that thick. That's the way I was. And Jesus, is like, oh, this is gonna be a challenge, but watch. Let's start. Let's start. Let's start somewhere and get to Christ-likeness. If the church of Jesus looked like The beauty of the Son of God. What do you think would happen in culture? If there was nothing hidden in darkness, if there was no false illusion of an image. Remember the letter to the church in Sardis? You have a name that you're alive, but actually you're dead. You jump around, but inside you're covered with barnacles. Like, take the truth the sword of the Spirit, and use it. And can I encourage you? Don't just do that for yourself, but do that for the body. How wonderful would it be if we looked out over the body of people and people in our body, and instead of criticizing them and tearing them down, if we took the Scriptures ourselves and just said, hey, I just pray over my brother, over my sister, this word. Father, I'm praying this over them, that you would take that like a sword and that you would clean that off and that you would. The image that's inside of every born-again believer, right? Ephesians 4.24 says that we were created in righteousness and true holiness after the image of the one who made us. So inside of you, in your born-again spirit, you do look like Jesus. It's just all these barnacles that got to get cleaned off of your soul and off of your mind. And that's why we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. There's a deep work that has to happen, and we partner with that work by taking his truth. This is different, people. This is different than just reading your Bible occasionally and haphazardly. It really is. It's intentionally taking it. So there's lots of ways that the truth of the Scripture has powerful impact on us. But one of the ways is using it as a sword. Take each one of those verses and use it as a sword on those areas of your life that are deficient or weak. And use it over the body. Instead of criticizing the body, instead of criticizing people for what they lack, why don't you help be part of the solution and build it into them by taking that word and speaking it over them? Praying it over them. The Lord is going to complete the good work that he started in you. The holiness of Jesus that's been put inside of your life is going to come out. This tender conscience, that heart, he said, the new covenant heart, is a heart that knows God. And it is a heart where he has written his laws on the heart of flesh. And now he causes us to walk in his ways. It's powerful. He loves his Word. He wants his community to be saturated with it. Not just sprinkled. It's not like salt. It's like diving into the pool. Letting it saturate everything. So, it saturates. Look at verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ. What does that imply? You can stop it. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's a plural word there. Within all of us. Notice. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So here's the truth. Every time we come together, you're teaching and you're preaching and you're admonishing. Because that's what he said. Well, how do I do that? You breathe in this word to where you're like a sponge. And when you touch it, it comes out. Then if somebody comes up to you, wisdom can come out of you because you've put it inside of you. This is not just the preacher's job. This is everybody in the community where we are a word-saturated people. Word-saturated. It permeates our being, our mind, our thoughts, our souls, our hearts. I want to encourage you to up your relationship to the Word of God. To match it to Psalm 119, read it sometime. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. So powerful. The most common phrase that he uses in that psalm, David, about his relationship to the Word of God is delight. I delight in your Word more than in thousands of silver and gold pieces. Like if we could say that for real, how how the world would be changed. Lord, I delight in your Word I wait for it like the watchman. He's working third shift now. He's waiting for the sunrise. He's waiting for that 6 o'clock bell. More than the watchman waits for the morning, I'm waiting for your word. I'm hoping in your word. There's an upgrade here. This is different than feeding yourself broccoli, okay? This This is different than eating broccoli. This is coconut cream pie. I'm having flashbacks. 10 billion calories and 10 billion of fat. I love it. I love coconut. I love coconut cream pie. None has gone into my mouth for a long time, but I just like to think about it. It's so good. The word of God is like that. Sweeter than honey. Your words in my mouth. Jeremiah said, your words were found, and I did eat them, and they became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Your words are so precious and powerful. God wants a community where his word is not just a tool. That's okay. But it's a delight. It's a joy. It fills us. It saturates everything. So when we're filled with that, what do you think happens when you have a congregation of people that take that you plural seriously. And they go, okay, I'm part of that you, plural. I'm going to fill my life. I'm going to be saturated with the Word of God so that I can admonish and I can teach when I come together with the body. That's what this passage says. It's not me. It's not Brandon. It's not that. It's you. You're teaching today. You're admonishing today. You're exhorting today. got to have some fuel, delight, and treasure the Word of God. Notice also In this verse, teaching and admonishing one another, number one. Number two, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. You are not only teaching this morning, you're on the worship team. God wants our teaching, our counseling, our admonishing to be saturated with His Word. He wants our worship, our songs, our hymns, and our spiritual songs to be saturated with His Word. Not just some sprinkled on top, but to be birthed out of it, to be saturated with Why? Because it's powerful, and those things change people's lives. You know, there's many passages in the New Testament, letters that are actually hymns that Paul quotes, Philippians chapter 2 is one, 2 Timothy chapter 2, they're they're hymns that they sang in the early church. Most all scholars believe this. The one about having the mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who took upon himself the form of a slave, That's, that's an early hymn that they sang. They got the word into them, breathing in truth through their worship and through what they sang. Even through their spiritual gifts. Spiritual songs here most likely refers to Holy Spirit spontaneous given songs that were brought forth. Our spiritual gifts are filled. Why does this matter? It matters a lot. In our culture, one thing that we cannot give up. We want the expression of the spiritual gifts. We want the expression of the Holy Spirit. We desperately want that. We want What happened here this morning to be multiplied a thousandfold? But. That's not a but of not. That's a but of plus. We want the word of God to have its rightful place. This is my belief. I believe the Bible bears this out. That to the degree that we honor the word of Jesus Christ in our midst, we honor the Lord Jesus himself to the degree that we minimize, ignore, and dishonor the Word of God or try to change it to our own agenda. To that degree, we dishonor, ignore, and minimize the Lord Jesus in our midst. It's not going to happen in this place. I want to encourage all of us to be part of what the Lord wants to do here, and this is so key in worship. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take the risk of offending you right here. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and go, don't be offended, just listen for the truth. Don't be offended, just listen for the truth, okay? I want to, to take us real quick to John chapter 4. This is probably the most important passage on worship in the New Testament, and it, it bears directly with what we're talking about here, of being a community that is saturated with the Word of God. <clears throat> John chapter 4, you're, you're well familiar with this story of the woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus meets her. And I want to start reading at verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. <clears throat> Excuse me. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said that I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. This you've said truly. Now it gets awkward. That's really awkward. Jesus is the master of awkward in getting to those places of the heart. I I, I just marvel at it. I laugh out loud sometimes when I read that. I'm like, what in the world? You said that? It's crazy. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's change the subject real quick. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So understand Samaritans, again, many of you know this, but who was a Samaritan? So the northern kingdom of Israel was taken captive by the Assyrian empire. Most of them went into captivity, went to Assyria, but they left some behind. Those ones that were left behind, the Assyrians came in, inhabited that northern part of Israel, they intermarried, and so the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jews, and they were half-Assyrians. And so They decided they weren't going to go along with the temple in Jerusalem in South Israel, in Judah. They were going to have their own temple in Northern Israel. And so they did, and they started their own flavor of religion. The Samaritans. The Samaritans actually had scripture. They found original scriptures from the Samaritans called the Samaritan Pentateuch. What is the Pentateuch? It is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had that, essentially the same as what we have in our Bible. There's several thousand changes, but they're all pretty small. So, essentially, they liked the Pentateuch. Why did they exclude the rest of the Old Testament? Because they didn't like it. They didn't like this talk of judgment. They didn't like the the talk that reminded them that they were sinned and they were idolaters, and that's why God sent them into judgment. They didn't want all that. They do not want the prophets. The prophets get too nosy into your business. We don't want that. We'll just take the law. We'll take the Pentateuch and we'll have that. So they had scripture. You need to know that as we're going into this because this is really important. We're getting to a point here. It's really important. Verse 21. Jesus said to a Woman, believe me, an hour's coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Worship's about to shift completely. It's not becoming a locality now, it's becoming a heart issue. You worship, l- l- listen to verse 22 so powerful. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Why would he say to a people, are the first five books of the Bible, is that scripture? Pentateuch is scripture, right? They had that. Why would he say to that woman, you don't even know what you worship? Because if you decide what part of the scripture you like, and reject the part that you don't like, it's not the scripture that you believe, it's yourself. So you have a designer religion, hello America, hello Facebook, hello every social media platform, you have your own designer God, well I think God is that. Here's the question, how do we find out who's the real God? Will the real God please stand up? Because we have more gods in our culture than the Romans had and with 300 million. Because everybody has their own God. Here's the question. Where's the real God? And Jesus said, you think because you have that peace of God and you're going to base everything on that, that, that you have, you're really worshiping. He goes, you, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Because if you decide that you're going to take just the revelation of God that you like and reject the rest, it's not the Scripture you believe, It's yourself. Then you have your own designer God. Congratulations. He can allow you to do whatever you feel like doing. He can permit you to do anything. and He's still going to just love you, love you, love you. You have your own designer God. Congratulations. Hello, America. Here's why. Being saturated with the word of God, not just part, but whole is so important for our worship because if we are not taking true views of who God really is, not part of it, all of it, then we're not really worshiping the real God. We don't even know what we're worshiping. We're worshiping a feeling. Sometimes we'll worship worship. This is real. I know. I told you you could get offended by this. I'm just asking you not to. Just hear the point. Let me Let me read this is one of the most popular worship songs in the last. I'm not throwing stones at all. I've worshiped with this song, and I'll worship with you today, right after this, if you want, with this song. Okay? I will, for real. Because what it's saying isn't wrong, but it's very revealing for where we are in our culture and as believers. Okay? Within the last 10 years, this is one of the top worship songs. You'll recognize it when I start reading the first couple of verses. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. Now, is there anything wrong with that theologically? No, not really in what it says. He is a good, good father. You agree? He's a good, good father. But here's the question that I have, I've heard a thousand stories of what they say you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of your voice in the dead of night. That's how I know who you are. And my question is, why should we believe your tender whisper any more than we believe the other thousand stories? Do you know that Muhammad had tender whispers and angelic visitations? Do you know that Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science had tender whispers and angelic visitations? Do you know that almost every cult leader in the world has had tender whispers and angelic visitations to confirm Joseph Smith? Angel comes and writes it on a tablet of stone? Dude, that trumps your tender whisper. How do we know your tender whisper is even legitimate? And how do you know you're even worshiping the real God with it? Am I minimizing experience? No. Do I think it's beautiful and powerful? Yes. Have I had the Lord speak to me lots of times? Yes. It's real and it's true. But here's the issue. That's not how you define what truth is. That's not how you define who the real God is. He defines himself in his autobiography. And you can trust that this is the only true and accurate representation of the real God that we're called to worship. So if we're not permeated and saturated with the truth that is in this word, how do we know what we're even worshiping is real? That's why it's so beautiful. I think it's awesome with the worship team writing songs. like they're, they're singing scripture up there. They're singing God's revelation of himself. That's how we can have confidence. Yes, we're worshiping the real God. You said this right here. So powerful. So beautiful. But our culture is shifted so heavily towards the feeling side. And we have to be careful. Charismatics, we love experience. And I'm at the front of the line. I love it. I love when the Lord ministers to people, I love the flow and the moving of the Spirit. I love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there are boundaries. There are guidelines. Can I read you one more verse here? Second John verse 9. You probably haven't read 2 John in a long time. How many have read 2 John in the last two months? Okay, there's a couple. Verse 9 of 2 John. So powerful. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, word of Christ, teaching of Christ, does not have God. What? The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So if you get outside of the guidelines, if you get off of the railroad tracks with your train, you're going to train wreck. If you go beyond, this is what happens so often, this is why we judge our revelations. This is why we judge spiritual gifts, because they have to go with what God says about himself. If not, then we take them and go, okay, this, this part was right and that part wasn't right. Um, am I minimizing flowing worship? Am I minimizing spiritual experiences? Not in the least. I'm saying there's boundaries that we set up around them to make sure that we're not going too far and we're actually losing God in our pursuit of worship. You see what you're out there? If you go beyond the teaching, you don't have God anymore. What? No, you've left Him behind because you've gone on like these Samaritans. You go, well, this is God. He's in this little narrow box. We don't want the rest of that. But He's in this little narrow box. So we're only going to take, quote, the positive things, the happy things, whatever. No, you can't do that because you don't have the real picture of who God is. That's why we're all called to be saturated with the word of the living God. Let all of you be saturated with the word of Christ. Let's be a community that's saturated with the word of Christ. You don't hear charismatics talking like this that much, do you? You don't. Why not? We won't both end. We believe in all the spiritual gifts and the moving of the Holy Spirit because it's in here revealed. The Father says, that's what I want you to do. But He's the one who sets the boundaries, and we love His truth. We embrace it. So we're not afraid to move out in the spiritual gifts. We're excited. Here's the thing. You wouldn't have to judge prophecy and spiritual gifts if there weren't mess-ups, right? Paul wouldn't have to say to the church at Thessalonica, don't despise prophetic utterances. Why do you think he said that? Because there was a bunch of whack stuff that came out. But you know what? It was important enough to go, hey, just like a baby has dirty diapers, you don't throw the baby back and say, hey, here, take this baby back. Like I didn't bargain to change these diapers. You know how many diapers we change? Are, diapers are expensive, though, right? It comes with the package. Here's the thing. It's so beautiful. We have the means to be able to know how to judge. It's beautiful. It's like boundaries on a lake or on a retention area. You have those boundaries so that if the water gets too high, you keep the water in where it's supposed to be. I've never personally been in a situation, in a place where there was so much excess and overflow that it overflowed the boundaries. I would love to be in that place. I think we're going to go there. It's okay. You know what? We're never going to back off. As culturally unpopular as some of this might be. As disturbing as some of this might be. Maybe some of you are like with analysis fire you don't you don't like to think about that. That's your god. That's our God. We're going to go with what this word says, and we're going to be a people that are permeated with the word of God. But we're not going to make that cause us to be cynical towards spiritual gifts or towards the moving of the Holy Spirit or if somebody makes a mistake. Can I tell you, I've made a lot of mistakes in spiritual gifts over my life. It's okay, the Lord still allows me to do them because my heart is to do what's right, just like yours is. Can I ask you in this moment to commit yourself and your heart to have a richer supply of the word of God inside of you? Can, can I ask you, I, I just wanna ask you, that. we're gonna pray, I'm not gonna have a, a big altar call or anything like that. I just wanna ask you, If you'll commit in your heart to have a richer, a deeper, a fuller supply of the Word of God in your life. Why? Because when you have that, the picture of Jesus that's inside of you gets more vivid and more vibrant and more alive. And people see it. They see Him. That's what I'm asking for you to do. So close your eyes. If you want to pray, the Lord sees your heart and knows. If this is what you want, he's going to answer you. I want us to be a people that are saturated. Let the word of Christ dwell within all of you, richly teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, filled with the richness of the word of Christ in our midst. The Father loves to dwell in the house when that happens. So, Father, we ask you now, I thank you for each of these men and women in this room. I thank you for their heart for you. I pray, Lord, that you would make whatever adjustments we need, that you would draw us and that you would give us just a greater and a deeper delight in the beauty, in the power, in the wonder of your words that you've given to us and that we would delight in who you reveal yourself to be and that we would be able to worship more fully because we see you more clearly. Would you cause everyone in this room and even on live stream to become a greater carrier of your word of truth that we would proclaim with one voice the true Jesus, the true gospel, the true God of salvation. And we would worship him with a full heart all the days of our life. Lord, would you be mightily exalted and magnified in this place because we all with one voice lift up our praise and our worship to you, that you are our heart's delight, that you are the God of gods and the King of kings. Do a work in us, Lord. Do a deeper work in us, we pray. Let everything of image in our lives, Lord, be burned away and laid down. And let that of substance come. Let this new beginning be a beginning of substance instead of image. A substance and reality instead of words. Let us grow into the people and into the temple that you've called us to be. And I thank you. So excited, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. I love you.